0: Welcome back to The Shelf Oddities, I'm Serafina.
1: And I'm Ambie. And the oddity that I'm feeling like today is a, like, rusty-ass jacket that I actually bought um, thrifting, like, a couple years ago. And I specifically remember this terrible, beaten-down, dingy jacket because it had, like, a Walmart receipt in it for, like, a Kit Kat bar. And it just, I don't know, it just makes me happy. So, what oddity are you feeling like today?
0: That Kit Kat bar they bought at Walmart. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the oddity I am feeling like today is just a pile full of old Martha Stewart Halloween magazines. Okay. Do you remember those? Like you'd be like yeah, in I the do. grocery line looking through them, parsing yes. through. Oh yeah. Just so much so much creativity abound, you know. Yeah, for sure. I miss those magazines, I think they still make them, but they're so expensive that it doesn't make sense to <laughs> buy them when we have Pinterest. But well, plus, I, we love Martha, yeah, she's she really is the homie. Uh, speaking of a good old nostalgia, I recently picked up a pack of those trash bags that look like pumpkins you put leaves in. I talked oh. about them in a past episode and I yes. found them. And I have them. Now we just got to wait for the leaves to fall. But I'm very excited about them. I love them so much. I remember and those.
1: I love those.
0: Aren't they great? And um, I had a question for you. Which was, had you found any fun Halloween decor? Or is like, there any like old Halloween decor that you still keep around? Because of you know the nostalgia of it all? Um,
1: well, no to the old stuff. Um, but Target has like a Halloween line this year and they have this little like this black cat. I don't know if you've seen him but it's like a black yeah, and cat. The pumpkin. Yes. Yeah. I bought every possible bit of merch of that <laughs> like I have a throw blanket, I have a throw pillow, I have a picture on my wall, I have a coffee mug. <laughs> the,
0: the pillow so, is really cute. I looked at the pillow.
1: Yeah. Last and then I week. got this um Really cozy, like, orange, very fall throw blanket also from Target. And a bunch of, like, fun little Halloween mugs. There's, like, a witch's cauldron and, like, a ghost. and Like I said, the cat. And it's awesome. I love it. I love just the little camp cozy feeling Halloween stuff.
0: Yeah, I, um, I did a little Target run last week. We did it on date night. And I picked up the cute little pumpkin mug. They brought out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I got that guy, and then I got the blanket that has the ghost that's like holding a bat, like a balloon.
1: I haven't seen
0: that. He's so cute. I'll have to send you a picture. Yeah, me it's too. uh Target every year has like hits or misses for me, and this year they just had a lot of fun stuff. It was really cute. Last year I was lucky enough to get the pumpkin head skeleton, um, and he is out and about right now hanging out i've this i typically go for the ghosts but this year i've gone super pumpkin Mm -hmm. it uh in july or june i was at like a consignment shop and found like an old porcelain vintage uh they're called like a shell sitter uh but it's like an old vintage pumpkin that has like pipe cleaners attached like ceramic feet and stuff and it's super cute and like ever since then it's just been Little humanoid pumpkins everywhere. It's probably an over-the-garden wall era that I'm living in currently. But I mean. it's just been really fun. I've had a lot of fun with just like pumpkin-esque looks and stuff. Mm-hmm. I am currently working on a pumpkin corset for Salem. Love it. <laughs> Will I have it ready in time? I don't know. <laughs> but we're gonna <laughs> find out. Um, but yeah, I've I feel like I've actually been like I've pulled back a lot on a, the, like the Halloween stuff this year because I already have so much that now I'm in a place of like, I'm adding like a few, like my few favorite pieces now yeah. um, instead of the opposite, which was like, well, for the last five years I've owned nothing. Cause I didn't really decorate uh, that much for Halloween. Cause I was poor. <laughs> I didn't have money to, mm-hmm. And uh, now it's like slowly becoming where I can spend a little bit more money on a little less things, you know? So I'm getting like quality stuff and that's been really fun. Like I have a lot of like fun Halloween dishware now, uh, that's really cute and I really like. And it's just been really fun. I just, it's it's nice to be in a place where you can celebrate the holidays by surrounding your stuff with stuff you really like, you know, and not just yeah, capitalism, retail therapy probably. I don't know, but (laughs) not even retail therapy because like like I said, a lot of my stuff from like consignment stores are like thrift shops or like uh you know i'm finding them very specifically online somewhere and like uh you know trying to celebrate small businesses and it's just fun it's it's uh, you know it's fun when you're not failing at capitalism (laughs) for 20 (laughs) seconds in the fall time and the leaves fall down you know so yeah that's been that has been a, a small joy is not partaking in capitalism like I used to, you know, and being very more intentional about it and trying to make sure I'm getting like things and stuff like that. And it's just been really fun. I've been having a really good time with it. I have been watching a lot of like cozy, scary stuff. And that sounds like such a, you know, back and forth kind of thing, an oxymoron. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, well that's what you of know stuff I like. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's Jeez. it's the low stakes spooky cozy vibes. Um has been great. I mean, practical magic every day all the time over the garden wall. Mm. Um The new Interview with the Vampire series, which you haven't seen yet, but you should watch it. Um, Even if you just watched the first episode. Don't commit to the rest, but the first episode is my favorite episode. Uh, The first and the second, probably, because it is in... An era of clothing I really like. Don't necessarily love the era itself. It's like 1914 or something like that. Don't love that era. Don't love what was happening. But I'm <laughs> telling you, the clothing is impeccable. Okay, it's so good and it's so gay. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh. We love. Yeah,
1: I'm like a like I respect like the flashers and like the haunted, scary demon stuff. But like sometimes I just want to watch. Halloween Town. (laughs) I just want to marathon Scooby Doo, or I want to watch like the Halloween Tree, which is such a underrated movie. I still uh, haven't watched it. I gotta watch it. So good. Uh, But yeah, I like the more cozy kind of scary Halloween, the more enchanting stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And that is what led us to today's episode topic. We are gonna take a little field trip down to good old New Orleans. And we are going to learn probably one of my favorite history pieces um, or legends. There's so many good ones, right? It's hard to pick one. It's such a beautiful city. It's so cool. Rife with history. Rife with so many different cultures. And... It started terribly, and we'll get into that, and <laughs> and that led to a lot more, uh, you know, darkening of the rue that is the culture there, but it is, when I think of fall or when I think of October, you know, people always say, well, like, you know, Bourbon Street or whatever, talking about that, but there's so many places that are so interesting, but we're going to spend most of our time in the French district, uh, which is the oldest part of the city. And I wanted to start this by reading you the New Orleans intro to their website. Because we talk about Salem a lot and how Salem is trying to put down its identity, you know, as what it is. Is it the witch city? Is it a city people live in? Is it the city with bad history? You know, they're trying to figure that all out. New Orleans knows what it is and what it's serving. And we're about to learn, too. So the first page of their website, it's titled Mystical and Haunted New Orleans. New Orleans is the most haunted city in the United States. The city is a place where the dead refuse to rest. In fact, there is no solid ground to hold them. Famous for its practitioners of the mystical arts, From voodoo queens to professed vampires and Wiccans, New Orleans sets the stage for all manner of third-eye explorations. It's also been the backdrop for occult-themed films and television shows, from True Blood and Interview with a Vampire to American Horror Story Coven, the proliferation and popularity of walking tours that cast an all-seeing eye onto some of the most infamous haunted sites in the French Quarter and beyond tell the grisly tale. From pirates to yellow fever victims to murdered enslaved, all manner of otherworldly creatures may just join you on your stroll. Join this—it c- keeps going. Sorry, sorry. My Could bad. you imagine? I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Join the city's mystical seance, take a cemetery tour, or spend a night in a ghostly hotel. New Orleans features witches and warlocks, vampires and ghosts of every description. New Orleans welcomes everyone. The living, the dead, and those souls in between. Which how dare they st- st- how dare they steal our tagline like that? <laughs> you know. So, let's get into it. The French District here. Let's do it. Let's go ahead and go back in time and talk about how New Orleans came to be. A French-Canadian colonist, Jean-Baptiste Limon Bienville, and his brother, which there's <laughs> there, no name. is <laughs> <It's laughs> this guy and his bro. Just the brother. Um, they took a mission to establish a new French colony in uh, the Americas called Louisiana. In 1695, they explored the Gulf Coast and found a settlement called today Mobile, Alabama, which was once the capital of the Louisiana colony. So when you think Louisiana purchase, huge stretch of land, right? It's not just Louisiana, the state. It was a big old piece of land surrounding the Gulf Coast. Right. Bienville explored around that area, and he decided to write to France stating that he had found an area nestled in the Fertile Crescent alongside the Mississippi River. He thought its location was the best. It was protected by the landscape naturally, and it was perfect for trading. He made the case that it was a better hub than other cities they were working on because having a military there was gonna be the best. Having a base at the mouth of the Mississippi was a huge win for France. Mm-hmm. He called this land in this letter Nouveau Ola, right? Because we there's Orleans. Orleans, Orlans, like, with there being so many different cultures, you're going to hear a million different names for this. But he's French, so he's calling it Nouveau Orléans, And he is in love with this area. As you can imagine, there were already occupants living there, of course. For thousands of years, that land belonged to the Chittimacha tribe, um... But you know, within 2 years he had built up some buildings enough to bring people in and that is called the French Quarter. It's 11 by 7 square blocks and it's located on the highest land that this stretch of land had to offer. He didn't go through and murder a bunch of natives yet. Uh, he worked in hand with them for a while. Um, they tried to make a lot of peace between the tribes and the city. That, of course, is not going to work out very well for the natives. Um, so do keep that in mind when listening to the story that, uh, it's bad for almost everyone except for, like, this guy. Um, so do keep that in mind that he might seem like the main character. This man's a villain. So anyway, uh... By 1720, uh, Bienville had convinced a lot of people to move from the Mobile location to the Nouveau location. Um, Most of these are men, right? And most of these men are rough, right? We're talking soldiers, miners, fur trappers... Uh, These guys, they have nothing to lose, right? They all came here from France in nefarious ways, and we'll talk about that. But these guys were just the worst of the worst. Yeah, basically. So here's something that I find interesting that I found out while researching this, that a lot of these guys were so rough because the French government had been sending its prisoners To Mm -hmm. the new world. Okay. Right? Which actually wasn't uncommon at all for any of... Like, America is basically founded on prisoners and felons. And um, we think about... Or, well, when I say we, Americans are taught that Australia was founded by criminals. I was about to say that. Well, here's something that's interesting. So, we both know that that's the thing, right? England sentenced prisoners to australia and then they built up australia did you know that british people british government was sending their prisoners to america until the revolutionary war started to turn i
1: knew that for some
0: people it like if they were stripped of their
1: lands and titles they would do that but i didn't know that was just like the status quo
0: yeah it was the status quo we are the first australia
1: okay interesting suck it yeah suck it australia
0: (laughs) i don't think it's a good (laughs) thing but go off. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah no we, we didn't do much good it's really not like
0: not really because when you think about like we got the religious extremists who left to find a world where they wouldn't be persecuted for their insane beliefs and then we have the prisoners and like that's america look around <laughs> look at where look at what we got going on here
1: yeah um, seriously
0: yeah, really bad. And, of course, history revises so much of this, and it annoys the crap out of me. They say, like, these men weren't great. And then they say that these men started chasing around the Native women, mm. bothering gotcha, them, yeah. right? Um, which, to me, sounds like history's way of going around the fact that they were, like, raping Native exactly. women. Exactly. Um Definitely what it seems like, but everywhere in history just says they started chasing them around. I'm like, oh, I don't think chasing is, oh, they might have been chasing, but uh, I you're like, think that's the preschool like that. word for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. um So, of course, as you can imagine, this started creating a bunch of tension with the tribes in the city. The city leaders realized that this was an issue and they decided to find a solution. And the solution wouldn't be what you think it is, which is like maybe kill the guys that are like fucking around or like, you know, whatever. Uh, instead, they decided that they needed good French girls. Yes. Right? They wanted Naturally. to build up the city with strictly French blood. These men are chasing around these natives. We can't have mixed blood, it's racism, obviously, um, and misogyny in a, the craziest way. For sure. Um, they decided that they needed women to temper these men's. It was the women's <laughs> job to come to the new city and make these men into good husbands and workers. So like, they were
1: sent there to fuck them.
0: Um, yeah, well, to like marry them and like have their children. Mm. It's not. Don't yeah, like it. it's not like they just were like, hey, like, yeah. send over a brothel. They're like, hey, send over women so we can chain them to men. Okay, still shitty, awful gross. men. I got
1: you,
0: yeah, yeah. So, they asked France to send them young women of childbearing age, and France did. Right? They tried this, um, at first in Biloxi and Mobile, they sent them there, and hopefully, hoping that they would have enough space to bring them to uh New Orleans, but. Who the fuck wants to do that? Who What woman wants to leave their home, sail around the world and marry a man they don't know? Mm-hmm. A man that's probably fucking awful. And so they didn't have a lot of takers, and that's when the French government stepped in, and that wasn't unheard of either. Women have been used as marriage capital for most of history. This had been done before in Quebec, what's now known as Quebec. Uh, to stimulate the the population of its colony. So in (laughs) Quebec, they did what they had been doing, and they emptied out its prisons and brothels and put them on a ship. Have a good one. Have a good life. But as you can imagine, this didn't work out in Quebec. These women weren't good marriage material. And as we know women, as we know women now, they were just as problematic. Just because they were a woman didn't mean that they weren't a hardened prisoner you know they were they they weren't sending baby sansa who could be groomed into a good wife they were sending killer sansa queen of the north who knew the world and its horrors
1: they were sending liana
0: Mormont. (laughs) yes exactly these women were too smart and too homicidal when it came to these men you're not abusing me baby i've been to jail (laughs) you know
1: I'm just imagining like a like an old-fashioned looking orange as a new black. <laughs> it's just yeah, basically. It's really making me laugh.
0: So a lot of these women didn't end up marrying any of these men, didn't really end up stimulating their population because they went off and lived their own lives and did their own things, you know? Um, so the leaders of Quebec had sent a letter asking for France to send good women. Good women, you know. <laughs> Women between the ages of twelve and twenty-five, Ugh. and these women had to come with a letter of recommendation from either uh-huh. their parish or their their family or whatever. They had to come with like a certified letter. You right? said they need a pedigree. Yes, exactly. Yes. And that's where we get this group of women that's called uh, La Fille de Roe and basically it means the king's daughters, right? 780 of these women were paid for by the king to be sent over to the new world, all with their letters of documentation. 730 of these women were married, and that contributed to a huge boost in society for the colony. Right? This was huge. The next, well, and also let's remember, Quebec, much better temperature, much better, much, much easier way of living. Um, Also, those men weren't as rough and tough, right? So, of course, they had um, uh, some modicum of success. They were sent over with money, they were sent over on a decent ship, they had a decent transition into the life in the new world. So, the next group of women to be sent. To the Americas, these were called the Pelican Girls. They arrived in Biloxi at uh, Benville's request. He wrote to the king that these girls should be raised in grace and piety, and should be able to work so that they could show the native girls what they could also accomplish. There was no, yeah, there was no point sending any less quality of woman; it would not work. Which what the fuck? Anyway. Less quality of woman. Yes. And his standards were that these were pure untouched women aged 14 to 17. Excuse me, sir. Those are, like that. Yep. those are children. Those uh, are children. And uh they had to be handpicked because they had to they had to fit these seven standards. And of course, because of that, only 23 women showed up right? Because one, your age range is three years of children.
1: Yeah, it's absurd.
0: It's absurd. Um, And of course, this then caused an issue. These men are like fighting and killing one another over these women because there's only 23 of them. And for the whole colony, it doesn't work like that, you know? And these women, of course, are having a terrible time. The veterans of the colony, the men who have been there for a long time, they're used to the heat. And to the terrible food that the quality that of living that they had in this you know, new colony was nothing compared to what France was. Right. And of course, the Pelican girls rebelled. The food tasted terrible. They couldn't sleep at night because of the heat. Biloxi was really facing an issue. You know, that it just it wasn't going well.
1: Well, I love and they this they rebelled. Is, uh-huh. I said, I love that they rebelled.
0: Me too. They killed a couple too. They were like, yeah. we're done. We've had enough. Yeah. Um. So this is where a true con man comes in. And his name is John Law, which is so funny. John, John Law. Law has come to town. John Law. John Law. Sounds like a Southern uh, he,
1: lawyer office.
0: Exactly. You've been in a car crash? Call up John Law. John Law. <laughs> uh, he's an opportunistic bastard. Okay. That's what this guy is. He has a company that's called the Mississippi company and it's basically a monopoly. He basically has a monopoly in the French colonies of transporting goods. Uh Um, And he saw this opportunity to start kidnapping homeless girls in France. Okay. Um, Taking them out of brothels, taking them out of orphanages. And then he was bringing them to the new colony. And these women were fed lies basically before they even got on the ship and during the entire time they're on the ship that they were going to be headed to someplace better. It's the new world is full of opportunity. Um, He told them that they were going to lead simple, happy lives and they were going to have a warm bed every night and a full stomach. And of course, to women who were homeless or, you know, were in an orphanage like that, it sounds good. You know, like, it sounds like, oh, okay, like, well, it's better than begging for coins, even though it was a lie. And it just didn't, um, it didn't go well. As you can imagine, when these women stepped off the boat to a crowd of men who were anxiously awaiting their arrival, these men noticed how pale these women were. You know, they were sickly looking They were not taken well care of on the boat, even before the boat. You know, of course, when they got to this new city, they were met with terrible men who abused them. They went hungry because there was a livestock shortage in the colony. And most of these women died. Like it just, it did not go well. Yeah. Um, Especially when you're treating women as livestock and you don't treat your livestock well. Of course, it's not going to go well. So here's Bienville again, asking for another chance, like he fucking deserves it. Not a fan of Bienville. Oh, he's the worst. He says in this letter that the men are out of control. They're having affairs with the natives, and we can't do that. These men are living without rule, without God. They are just true rebel rousers. They needed good women to rein them in this time good successful women to rein them in as if they treated any woman with kindness in the first place jesus louisa i'm
1: like i like how the
0: i like how the women are always oh we just need better women we just need better women it's never the men that beat and killed and raped their way through their days you know and it's interesting because it's often reported that in this last time the king oversaw the new group of girls that were to be sent but the king had already died by that point. Okay. So it's kind of interesting on how we get here. Uh, so it seems like the Pari- the Parisian government stepped in and they saw to this task. An edict had already been passed about two years back from this point. This is 1723. That uh, no more prisoners were to be sent to the colony. Right. Uh, th- it wasn't kosher anymore. They, p- people didn't like it. It didn't look good in society. But what's interesting is that they had a new institution. This was a state-ran state home that could house up to 50,000 beggars, as they were called then. Um, in 1684, a woman's wing was added to the state home. It's basically a prison wing, except for they're not called prisoners. Mm-hmm. So, fun fun little... Workaround, As you can imagine, these women were in prison for witchcraft, insanity, immoral speech even, you know, all the good timey reasons to imprison a vagina owner at that time. For sure. These girls were anywhere from 12 to 30. And they decided to empty out the wing and ship them straight to Biloxi. And this is where we believe that the legend of the casket girls comes from. Have you heard of the casket girls? I have heard of the casket girls. They're awesome. So, a small number of these girls were sent straight to New Orleans from the beginning, right? They went from like they went to Biloxi and then immediately to New Orleans. They never got off the boat. So, when these women came to the docks and had another group of men anxiously waiting for them, these men also turned to each other and whispered how pale these girls were. How sickly they were. How insanely pale they were that if the sun touched their skin, it would turn red and welt immediately. Mm. These women did not look great. And as you can imagine, these were the first women that had shown up. uh, You know, to New Orleans straight off the boat. So whatever you're expecting as a woman... It, that's just not what these girls look like, right? They don't. Their hair isn't done. They're not wearing fancy garments. They're not straight off the boat from France, powder fresh. They were malnourished on the on the trip over. They had spent a lot of time on the bottom of a ship traveling there, and then more time traveling to New Orleans after Biloxi. So, as you can imagine, they didn't look wonderful. Right. That spread some weird ideas around the town. About why these girls look so strange. Some believe that they had contracted tuberculosis as well in their travels. So you can imagine, like, it's a bad look, right? Yeah. What's interesting, when I was researching this, and I am going to pull this up here too. What I came across in my research is that actually in the colonies, uh, whether that be British, French, Spanish, this was around the time that TB tuberculosis was becoming a real issue Mm -hmm. at that time it was called consumption and a lot of people believed that vampires like there's a lot of new england folklore that vampires came from the corpses of tuberculosis victims oh yeah so reasons for that being tuberculosis of course makes you look terrible because you can't get a full breath. makes you real pale because you can't really get outside very quickly. And uh, it makes you cough up blood. <laughs> so you got like, you know, a lot of blood stuffs around your mouth, if, especially if you've been on a boat where you've been just in the tuberculosis swing of the sea um, for a good few months. And it also makes you real skinny because uh, you're not that hungry because you can't get a full breath. And the whole thing really sucks.
1: And everything uh, probably
0: tastes like blood. And everything tastes like blood. Right, exactly. So, these women step off the boat. Going through the hell they've gone through. Coming from the hell they've been in. And immediately, the entire town is like... Are these vampires? You <laughs> just sent us a boat of vampires, did you?" And, I know a vampire when I see one. Yes. You cannot fool me. Bat. Ah. So, oddly enough... Each woman brought with her a large casket filled with her belongings. Which just
1: (laughs) doesn't help the case. It does
0: not help the case at all. (laughs) These women were sent to the Ursuline convent. So these women could be cared for and taught how to be proper New Orleans society. The nuns were told that the caskets needed to be stored and not opened until the girls were married. So the nuns stored these caskets on the unused third floor of the convent in the attic. What's interesting is around this time, there's a lot of murder. I mean, there's always a lot of murder, right? It's New Orleans. People are dying left and right. But But it's a city made of criminals. It's a city made of criminals. Well, it's a country made of criminals, baby. (laughs) Touche. And um, what's interesting is that now the whole town's a little suspicious of those vampires around. So people start noticing the death counts and being like, what is going on? How strange is this? This is weird. Ain't that odd? What's going on? And the girls never looked better. And I don't mean that as like, they've never looked better. I mean, they never looked better. They... uh, a month later, they still looked as bad as when they got off the shift because they had fucking tuberculosis, but whatever.
1: <laughs> I entirely thought you meant they were, like, doing great, and I was like, oh, good
0: for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for them. No, I mean, they never look any better. They never look better. Um, maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's tuberculosis. Maybe it's Maybelline. And um, so later on, after the girls are still, I mean, they're not doing great, and it's not going that well, surprisingly.
1: Yeah, it's not then, necessarily a good time.
0: No, it's not. It's not a good time at all. I mean, they're trying their hardest, but when you have vampirism, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> when when you got chronic illnesses going on, you know, it's uh, and no AC in the middle of summer in New Orleans, like it's they're li- It's it's rough. So later on, the nuns decide that they're going to go ahead and open these caskets, right? Uh, they had been full and heavy with the girls' belongings. They're like, maybe we can find something to cheer them up or make them feel more engaged in society or get to know them better. But they go to open these caskets, and they are completely empty. Ah. They had been full and heavy when they were taken off of the ships, and now here they sit in the third floor, empty. At this point, because it's <laughs> 1740, hmm the nuns immediately come to realize that the girls were traveling with undead companions and the girls themselves were playing host to these creatures. A little bit okay. of a leap? Yeah. A little bit of a leap. A little bit. But the entire town's already convinced they themselves are vampires. So when you show up with a casket that's heavy and then it's empty, I mean I what else, you know, what else could you think? What el- what else do you got there? Got to be vampires. Gotta be vampires. There's only one option, and it's vampires. It's always
1: vampires.
0: Always. So they believed that at night, the vampires would exit through the windows of the third floor attic and pillage the city, and then come back before the sun rose. Classic vampire. So the nuns decide to break out the holy water, have the nunnery blessed, and then they seal the attic windows in the middle of the night they are so convinced of this they use nails that had been blessed by the pope in rome oh my gosh they wrote to the pope and said we need blessed nails and the pope sent them i just imagine the pope's like yo we gotta get on this shit dog we gotta bless these nails what the hell (laughs) And this was done to prevent the creatures from coming back into the attic, of course, right? Can't, if you get out, you can't get back in. And then they were hoping that would mean like the sun would cleanse the city of its vampiric problem. Like we just lock them out and then the sun's going to cook their asses and we're good to fucking go, baby. We did it. For the times. For the times. That is not a terrible plan. <laughs> not, I mean, it's at least something, you know, they're doing something. <laughs> and of course, the legend has two stories. There's, The fun one, then there's like the maybe realistic one or whatever. We get Um, the fun one. The fun one is the one I've been telling. They're vampires.
1: Oh, okay. okay. I thought there was gonna be some story about. Sorry, you you talk. My
0: bad. My bad. No, you're good. the The fun one is that they are vampires, and the legend with the two stories is that within the city there was discourse that either the girls had brought these creatures with them or they were creatures themselves, or France was trying to get rid of them by sending them to the new world. Mm -hmm. So that created discourse among the city in France and also discourse within these girls in the city. It's a thing. It's a whole issue, right? Mm -hmm. But the girls stay with the nuns for long enough that they're deemed, you know, safe. And nothing comes back into the attic and the caskets stay empty. So bada bing, bada boom, we've solved our vampiric problems.
1: Very efficient.
0: Very efficient. So what's interesting and odd about this story, because I can never just find a fun light legend to tell, you know, I got to fucking dig because I'm me. <laughs> but what's interesting is that the covent, the covent, <laughs> the convent, I don't like how I said that. What's interesting is that the convent that's currently on 100 Charter Street in the French District, as we know now, it wasn't built until 1745. It just didn't exist before they had built a convent 10 years beforehand, but they had built it basically on swamp water and it uh, drowned. (laughs) It just sunk right into the swamp. Unfortunately. so that didn't uh, that didn't stick around for longer than that. Uh, so basically, the nuns got there in 1725, and they had to find another house uh, to house the nuns until until it was built. So this to me blows like a huge hole in this legend. It doesn't really make sense. But then I dug deeper, and I found out some weirder shit.
1: Okay, I'm here for it.
0: I found that the nuns. When they, this convent was finally built, they threw a huge parade. Okay. The nuns weren't seen in public. It was against the rules to flaunt yourself and to be celebrated. They typically always traveled in covered wagons with their own faces covered. You, you weren't an icon. You were a servant of the Lord. Right. Right? But here they are celebrating and putting on a huge party. The church says that it was to tell the men of town that God is here now and the chaos has to stop. Reign it in, sister. But many, many speculate that this was actually sleight of hand. Look over here. Look at these nuns. See a nun for maybe the first time in your life ever. We're doing a party. We're having a good time. Don't look at the caskets we're loading through the back. Oh shit! There were many long boxes rolling through the streets, covered up behind them in the parade. Is that from just like a counting of people that attended the parade, or? Mm-hmm. And there's like, uh, there's there's like drawings of it and like like paintings of it. Okay. And like you can see them like in the procession.
1: Interesting.
0: Which could be a you know thing, but it there people talk about it. There's like journals and stuff. We talk about going to this parade, and the nuns wrote you know their own account of you know what was in the parade and stuff like that. And it's just it's just you know wagons of long boxes covered in black cloths. Nothing suspicious to see here. <laughs> no, nothing going on. We're not transporting the undead with us. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> So, let's flash forward to 1970. Okay. A decent time in history, not great, but it's there. <laughs> 200 years after the Casca girls get off the ship. So, what's interesting is that the the convent on Charter Street still looks like it does when it did when it was built. You can still see the attic windows, and you can still see where they're covered up in the shutters they put on them. And in 1970s, two ghost hunters hid in the courtyard of the convent overnight. They had previously spotted that one of the shutters was slightly ajar, and they wanted to see, they wanted to see what's going on. They wanted to test the theory, so they hid in the courtyard and they camped out. And then the next day, their bodies were found drained of blood. Oh shit! No answers on that. No okay. official police report closing on that. It's documented. It happened, but no one knows why. Isn't that it was, interesting?
1: It was El Chupacabra.
0: The, I mean, definitely, you're right. <laughs> Case closed. Wrap it up. Stay <laughs> on Arcadia. fucking episode. <laughs> So, that's like, there's a lot of weird things that happen around there, but that one to me was the weirdest. It was like, oh, they, they're the only people who ever stayed overnight in, in the courtyard and they the next day they had no blood? Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Seems a little odd. What is interesting is that um, a lot of the locals will actually not walk by the building between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m., A lot of the locals believe that those caskets are still locked away in the attic. The general public is allowed to walk through the first two layers of the convent, but not the attic. So you could go in there right now, but you're not getting in the attic. Only one person has the key. It's the Monsignor, and uh, he ain't giving that key out, baby. It's hard to get up there. So what if you and I did like a Nicolas Cage? uh, We're going to steal the keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. In terms of investigative journaling.
0: Um, Well, that happened once to two dudes and they found they had no blood the next day. So I think I'm good. Uh, I like the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's interesting is that the windows are never open, even during the summer heat. But then we get into Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina rifled the city, right? It was awful. I was alive during that time. You were alive during that time. We remember that. That was yeah. not fun. It was not good. It was not good for the city, of course, but it seems to be not great for the superstitious world of New Orleans as well. We'll talk about that in other, another episode, I'm sure. But there's a lot of people who believe that uh, energy and ghosts go through water and the whole city was covered in about like 10 feet of water for a really long time. And people still believe that like their houses are haunted now. Yeah. It was already a pretty
1: haunted place.
0: It's already a haunted place, but if it wasn't haunted before, it's definitely haunted now. It's like unholy water. Well, yeah,
1: literally. Basically.
0: So what was interesting is that one of the shutters was blown off of the attic during hurricane Katrina. And The locals will tell you the story that while everyone was working with FEMA and the Red Cross, during that time, they state that the Vatican flew in somebody with newly blessed nails. No way. They just said, hey, don't worry, we got you. We're going to put that shutter back up. Oh, my gosh. Ain't that something? (sighs) I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um so let's talk a little bit about uh Marita uh Wywood Crandell. Mm-hmm. She wrote a book called New Orleans Vampires. It's pretty good. You should read it if you like this kind of stuff. She's one of the few people that was actually let up into the third floor. In an interview privileged. with what would you say?
1: I just said privileged.
0: Yeah, right. Jealous. In an interview with Stephanie Harlow, who's a true crime YouTuber and who, has, uh, who first introduced me to the Cassie Girls. Her video is great. I will link it below. She shares that she, uh, Marita shares, that she was told that the attic had been set up with six bedchambers for orphans. Okay. Right? But she found it really odd that when she toured the attic, it was completely empty. No bedchambers, no caskets, nothing. And that's really odd in the French Quarter because storage is so limited. Like, for this space to be completely empty is eerie in itself. Mm -hmm. Because if the church isn't using it, they could definitely rent it out for, like, thousands of dollars to, like, store stuff. There's no storage in the French Quarter. It's 11 by 7 square blocks. Like, there's no space here, and it's all packed in together. And... It's just empty. It's one big room. And then weirdly, no one knows about this. It's not on any map, but there's two small additional rooms as well. What's weird about one of these additional rooms is that there are portions taken out of the floorboards. Weirdly enough, it's the perfect size to fit a casket. No. No. It's wild, dude. Let me hear. I, I got to find this picture. I will post this picture on Instagram. Ew, I don't even like looking at the picture. Because it's per- they're perfectly casket-sized holes. It's so weird. And the pictures that I'm going to be sharing are the pictures that uh, Marita took while she was touring. Which, she couldn't give out a lot of the information that... Uh like they handed her a list of things that she wasn't allowed to talk about, and I don't think that they knew she took these photos.
1: Oh. Huh. Oh interesting.
0: Okay. Isn't that like, weird? I don't like that. So they're like perfect rectangles, and what would you say, like a foot deep? Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. Down. It doesn't make sense for what you would use these for, if not to lay caskets in, dude. Literally. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and what's also weird is that there was a smaller additional room right next to this one. Mm-hmm. And it can it, it's the only room in the entire building that has brick floors. And get this only room in the entire building that also has heavy ass chains hanging from the ceiling. Bruh. <laughs> she posted a picture of this as well. All right. This is really dark. So it's kind of hard to see. Okay. But if you look, you can see the chain hanging from the the brick. And that's just one of them. But it weirdly has brick floors in the attic. It's so strange. What's weird is that this door is the only room that also has a Dutch door. You know, one of those doors that you Mm -hmm. can open the bottom or the top Mm -hmm. uh, separately. The guide uh, says that this attic wasn't just used for orphans, but also the mentally ill. And this is where they kept the mentally ill. Um, The brick floor was for easy cleaning. The chains were, of course, to hold their occupants. Yeah. And the Dutch door was so that way the nuns could give them food or medication without walking in and and making themselves... Um. um, vulnerable but like what do you mean what the fuck that's so dark but also it doesn't make sense to me because why would you keep orphans in the mentally ill like one dutch door separated from each other that doesn't make any sense That seems like you would be putting the orphans at like a huge risk if you truly believe they needed to be chained up yeah but I I mean
1: the brick floor for easy clean I mean I guess I get it
0: See, to but. me, I'm saying brick floor, easy cleanup for blood. But, like, go on. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. It's, just saying. It's so um, ick. It's so ick. It's so creepy. It's so eerie. <laughs> I freaking hate it. Um, Marita also said that she had been told that Katrina had done a lot of damage to the attic. And they don't have funds to fix the attic. And that's why it was empty. Okay. Because they couldn't store stuff in there. Um, but... She said that the feeling was way more that they had removed stuff that was there and she didn't see a lot of damage. So, like, it seemed like they had given her a cute little reason, but she couldn't see any. Like, she's like, there was no holes in the roof. The walls were fine. The windows were fine. The shutters were fine. Like, I didn't see any issues of why this entire place would be empty but she said it did feel like there was like weird dust patterns to where it definitely looked like things had been there and then been moved. So, unfortunately, that's all that's out there about the good old cassette girls and about the good old vampires that probably came with them. I wish I had more information on it. I don't, but it is it's it's something I love. I I think that if vampires was the karmic justice that they got for the way that those men were acting i think it's fair i agree a lot of new orleans natives dub these casket girls as the mothers of new orleans Uh, they take pride in tracing back their lineage to these brave spooky girls whether it be the casket girls or the pelican girls what have you people are proud to be their descendants Sure. You know, these girls were sold a fake bill of goods and then they were thrown around the globe. They were kidnapped. They were lied to. At this time, that is not something that you see uncommon uncommon if you're not a white guy, (laughs) to be fair. And, um, and... Like I said, I I wouldn't blame them for wanting to become vampires. I wouldn't blame them for killing everyone in that damn town. What's interesting is that the nuns themselves were also a huge part of New Orleans success. And you know me, I'm not one to uh, bolster the church in any real way. But these nuns didn't just, you know, go all Jesus freak. They built a lot of community spaces and schools um, they did shape the town up so it would stop killing itself over and over again. Basically, mm-hmm. these were two groups of women and they were so important to New Orleans history in a time where women were treated as livestock. We, I, I think that, you know, no matter what the scenario is, they did the best they could with what they had. And I feel like I owe a great deal of respect to their work and the time they were given. One day we can definitely cover, you know, how women built the West as well, where there's a lot of labor that goes unpaid, you know, and overlooked in history that women were doing. And New Orleans owes a lot um, of its success to these women. And that's why it's one of my favorite legends is, like, I love the idea that these women came in and they were, like, the first, you know, like, goth girlfriends and maybe they just brought on a, a friend, you know? Who what's wrong with that? That's <laughs> their pal, yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so modern day we are looking at New Orleans very much accepts its vampire lineage and and cultural beings. There's also a New Orleans Vampire Association. Uh, this is a nonprofit organization that's it's basically comprised of self-identifying vampires this association represents an alliance between the different houses within the community because there's vampire houses within new orleans Uh (laughs) uh-huh where they're all together and this is their alliance they're all coming together the greater new orleans area comes together uh they were actually founded in 2005 And they were uh, able to establish support and structure for the vampire and other kin subcultures and to provide educational and charitable outreach to those in need. Every year since Hurricane Katrina, the founding members of NOVA, which is the New Orleans Vampire Association, they take food out uh, on any given holiday to the homeless. Uh, They work hard on their educational skills. They have meet and greet brunches they have you know they have events they're they're doing stuff they're, they're going they're they're going and doing things um but there are there are, there are four different houses there are five different houses i believe which is the house of mystic echoes the uh, esoteric gateway order the house of the muses the house ethereum the house of dreaming and house Razor, so six i I think there's six of them we have mottos and uh it's i don't know i think it's kind of cute like uh the house of mystic echoes i think is what it's called their motto is like live life to its fullest teach those around us and work towards harmony in all your endeavors yeah that's what their motto is and this house is inclusive Like, they focus on diversity while fostering an overall sense of community. Most of the time, it's people who claim to have a disease in which they need to um, feed on blood. Mostly animal blood is what it comes to, is what it seems like. Um, In my research, I didn't really see any houses being like, we kill people, but why would they?
1: Right, right, right.
0: You know, it doesn't seem very... (laughs) like on brand money. Yeah. Yeah, Who's, who's just going to out themselves like that. There is a vampire movement actually like across America. You can go to Vegas and find vampire clubs. You can go to, uh, you know, of course you can go to new Orleans and, and see something cool. Maybe, uh, keep yourself safe. (laughs) (laughs) Guard your neck. It is a city that is full of very unique and interesting people and unique and interesting cultures, I didn't even want to touch on hoodoo or voodoo because I don't feel as if I am someone who is qualified to talk about that stuff. I have a deep respect for it. We had talked earlier about me wanting, of course, to talk about Marie Love, though, but not feeling qualified to do it. I do recommend that you go and search up podcasts from you know, Black creators or Indigenous creators who have way more of an insight on her entire journey because it is amazing. So Anne Rice herself, the author of Interview with a Vampire, she has a second book I'm currently Uh, She has many books. She has another book that I'm currently reading. I'm halfway through. It's called The Witching Hour. Mm -hmm. And it's very fun. Very Southern Gothic. Very. It's also um, centered around the city. Um, Anne, Anne Rice herself was a native New Orleans citizen. And she lived in New Orleans for the majority of her life. And she wrote most of her books uh, you know, around that Southern Gothic charm around all of that. And the witching hour is very much focused on that feel. And it is wonderful. I myself would love to go to New Orleans one day. I haven't made it there yet because I can't figure out what the right season to go is. Um, because I can't really do heat. So I think it's the winter, but then traveling anywhere from fricking the frigid north in the middle of the winter is really hard. So maybe I'll find something smack dab in the middle of all of it. But the cemeteries to me are so freaking cool. Um, I've been to a few like in Savannah and stuff like that, where it's kind of the same idea of where they can't, you know, bury them in solid ground. Um, and that vibe is very fun. And restful, and I really like that. There are a million New Orleans ghost stories, uh, a million, literally. I looked them up, and there's ten of the best, you know, ghost stories from New Orleans. And you read five articles, and they're all different. Um, but the Casket Girls has stayed with me since I watched that Stephanie Harlow video like three years ago, and I just like it. I, I like the origin of it all. I'm a big fan. Uh, what about you? You've been, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we uh, stopped there and had lunch there and kind of explored it a little bit. Nothing too in-depth.
0: And how did the city feel
1: to you? Um, It almost had a very Salem-like feel to me. Like, I felt very comfortable yeah. while I was there. I just felt very, like, kind of... I mean, like, it's it's a blast of a city. Like, it's just a good time. But then you also feel like there's just, like, a deeper, like, unknown thing going on i'm not trying Mm -hmm. to sound too like (laughs) but you do but you do kind of get a sense that there's like something important happening underneath the surface of all the fun and the partying and the drinking and the food which is a blast but then there's also a very very rich and dark and disturbing history to the place and it's just uh if you go there and you allow yourself to like really embrace it then you really do feel like the full comforts of new Orleans and all the little ins and outs of it
0: hell yeah Yeah, I would love to go and, like, stay in, like, a haunted hotel and, like, just hang out and and vibe. We got to plan something and figure it out because it would be so much fun. But I feel like the casket girls are a very interesting story and a tale of bravery in the face of God knows what. If they were vampires, I stand with them because, listen, I support women's rights, but I also support women's wrongs. Women's wrongs. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Love that. So, if you're traveling to the New World, don't leave your casket behind. And if you're going to New Orleans, pay your respects on Charter Street. And stay out, Arcadia.